Book Two, Chapter Three of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Two, Chapter Three. Mr. St. John and Mr. Price were staying at the same hotel, and they walked back to it together. They had only just made each other's acquaintance, and were feeling the attraction which there is in a common object pursued by the most dissimilar means. They were both humanitarians, Mr. Price by choice and of set purpose, Mr. St. John of necessity, seeing that he was a good man, but unconsciously the consequence being much confusion of mind on the subject and a wide difference between his words and his deeds. He preached, for instance, the degrading doctrine that we ought to be miserable in this world, that all our wonderful powers of enjoyment were only given to us to be suppressed, and further blasphemed our sacred humanity by maintaining that we are born in sin and sinners we must remain fight as we will to release ourselves from that bondage. But yet his whole life was spent in trying to make his fellow creatures better, and the world itself a pleasanter place to live in. The means which he employed, however, was the old anodyne. Believe the best. That is to say, cultivate agreeable feelings. Mr. Price's motto, on the other hand, was, Know the worst. The foe must be known, must be recognised, must be met and fought in the open if he is to be subdued at all. This was the difference which drew the two together. Each felt the deepest interest in the point where the other diverged and yearned to convert him to his own way of thought. Mr Price would have had the clergyman know the world. Mr St. John would have taught Mr Price to ignore it, to look up as he called it, or, in other words, to sit and sigh for heaven while the heathen raged and the wicked went their way here undisturbed, although he had not realised up to the present that that was practically what his system amounted to. He belonged by birth to the caste which is bowed to the policy of ignoring and was as sensitive as a woman about delicate matters. Nationally, Mr. Price was the Englishman's son and had advanced a generation. Men are what women choose to make them. Mr. St. John's mother was the best kind of woman of the old order. Mr. Price was the product of the new. And the two were typical representatives of the chivalry of the past, high-minded, ill-informed, unforeseeing, and the chivalry of the present, which reaches on always into futurity with the long arm of knowledge, not deceiving itself with romantic misrepresentations of things by the way, but fully recognising what is wrong from the outset and making direct for the root of the evil instead of contenting itself by lopping a branch here and there. I think you said you were going to winter here, Mr Price remarked as they stepped into the street. Yes, if the place suits me, Mr. St. John answered, and so far, that is to say for the last month, 
It has done so very well. Are you a resident? Well, no, not exactly, the old gentleman answered. But I have been in the habit of coming here for years. It is an interesting place, said Mr. St. John, teeming with historical associations. Yes, it is an interesting place, Mr. Price agreed, making a little pause before he added, full of food for reflection. Life at large is represented at Malta during the winter season, and in a little place like this, humanity is under the microscope, as it were, which makes it a happy hunting ground for those who have to know the world. Ah, Mr. St. John ejaculated deliberately, I should think there's some very nice people here. Yes, and some very nasty ones, Mr. Price rejoined. But, of course, one must know both. Oh, I differ from you there, Mr. St. John answered, smiling. Walk not in sinner's way, you know. On the contrary, I should say, Mr. Price rejoined, smiling responsively and twitching his nose as if a gnat had tickled it. But I allow you have got to have a good excuse when you do. Mr. St. John smiled again slightly, but said nothing. There were elephants once in Malta, I am told, he began after a little pause, changing the subject adroitly, but they dwindled down from the size which makes them so useful by way of comparison till they were no bigger than Shetland ponies before they finally became extinct. And there is a set in society on the island now, Mr. Price pursued, formed of representatives of old English houses that once brought men of notable size and virile into the world, but are now only equal to the production of curious survivals, tending surely to extinction like the elephant, and by an analogous process. Here we are, said Mr. St. John as they arrived at their place of abode. Will you come to my room and smoke a cigarette with me? Thank you, I don't smoke, but I'll go to your room and see you smoke one with pleasure, Mr. Price responded. When they got to Mr. St. John's room, the latter took off his clerical coat and waistcoat and put on a coloured smoking jacket, which had the curious effect of transforming him from an ascetic-looking high churchman into what, from his refined, intellectual, clean-shaven face and rather long straight hair, most people would have mistaken for an actor suffering from overwork. Having provided Mr. Price with a comfortable seat in the window, which was open, he lighted a cigarette, drew up another easy chair, and stretched himself out in it luxuriously. He was easily fatigued at that time, and the rest and quiet were grateful after the talk and crowd at Mrs. Beale's. There was a little wooden balcony outside his window, full of flowers and foliage plants, and from where he sat, he saw the people passing on the opposite side of the street below, and could also obtain a glimpse of the Mediterranean, appearing between the yellow houses at the end of the street, intensely blue and sparkling in the rays of the afternoon sun. It was altogether a soothing scene, and had he been alone, he would have sunk into that state of intellectual apathy, which is so often miscalled contemplative. The homely duties of hospitality, however, compelled him to exert himself for the entertainment of his guest. Several of the people they had just met at Mrs. Beale's went past together, laughing and talking, 
and apropos of this he remarked, It's a bright little world. Yes, on the smoothly smiling surface of society, I allow it's bright, Mr. Price rejoined. The surface, however, is but a small part of it. Mr. St. John took a whiff of his cigarette. Do you see that man? Mr. Price pursued, indicating a man below the middle height, with broad shoulders, a black beard and moustache streaked with brown, a ruddy complexion, and obtrusively blue eyes, who was passing at the moment. Captain Belliot of HMS Abomination, Mr. St. John answered using the ship's nickname, and holding out his cigarette between his finger and thumb as he spoke, his fluent patrician English losing in significance what it gained in melody compared with the slow, dry, staccato intonation of the American. Yes, sir, Mr. Price rejoined. Now, he is one of the survivals I just now mentioned, a typical specimen. I rather like the man, Mr. St. John answered. He isn't a friend of mine but he's pleasant enough to meet. Just so, Mr. Price rejoined. The manners of the kind are agreeable on the surface. One must give the devil his due, but on closer acquaintance you won't find that their general characteristics are exactly pleasant. Their minds are hopelessly tainted with exhalations from the literary sewer which streams from France throughout the world, and their habits are not nicer than their books. Ah, oh, well, said Mr. St. John, whose sensitive lip had curled in dislike of the subject. It is never too late to mend. I believe, too, that the evil is exaggerated. But at all events, they repent and marry, and become respectable men eventually. Well, yes, sir, they marry as a rule, Mr. Price rejoined, and that's the worst of it. Mr. St. John held his cigarette poised in the air on the way to his mouth and looked at him interrogatively. Well, what you call repentance, restore a rotten constitution? Mr. Price responded. Will it prevent a drunkard's children from being weakly vicious, or the daughters of a licentious man from being foredoomed to destruction by an inherited appetite for the vices which you seem to flatter yourself end in effect when they are repented of? You do not take into consideration the fact that the once vicious man becomes the father of vicious children and the grandfather of criminals. You persuade women to marry these men. The arrangement is perfect, man's safety and man's pleasure. If there is any sin in it, damn the woman. She's weak. She can't retaliate. Mr. St. John's cigarette went out. He had begun to think. These are horrors, he ejaculated. But I know, thank heaven, that the right feeling of the community is against the perpetration of them. That's so, said the American. Unfortunately, it is not with the right feeling of the community, but with the wrong feeling of individuals that women have to deal. Heaven forbid that women should ever know anything about it. I say so too, said Mr. Price. At present, however... Heaven permits them by the thousand to make painful personal acquaintance with the subject. And I assure you, sir, that the indignation which has long been simmering in whispers over tea tables in the seclusion of scented boudoirs amongst those same delicate dames whom you have it in your mind to keep in ignorance of the source of most of their suffering 
mental and physical, is fast approaching the boiling point of rebellion. Do you know this for a fact? I do, and the time is at hand, I think, for a thorough ventilation of the subject. It is the question of all others which must either be ignored until society is disintegrated by the license that attitude allows, or considered openly and seriously. That is why I mentioned it. I see in you every inclination to help and defend the suffering sex, and every quality except the habit of handling facts. The subject's repulsive enough, I allow. Right-minded people shrink in disgust, even from what is their obvious duty in the matter, and shirk it upon various pretexts, visiting their own pain, like Betsy Trotwood when she boxed the ears of the doctor's boy, upon the most boxable person they can reach, and that is generally the one who has forced their attention to it. There was a pause after this. Then the clergyman observed, One knows that there are sores which must be exposed to view if they are to be prescribed for at all, or treated with any chance of success. Yes, yes, that is just it, Mr Price exclaimed. You will perceive, if you reflect for a moment, that there must have been a good deal that was disagreeable in the cleansing of the Augean stables, to which people in the neighbourhood would certainly and very naturally object at the time. But it has since been pretty generally conceded that the undertaking was a very good sanitary measure nevertheless. And had Hercules lived in our day and survived the shower of stones, with which he was sure to have been encouraged during his conduct of the business, we should doubtless have given him a dinner, or in the other case, an epitaph at least. But there is work for the strong man still. The Augean stable of our modern civilization must be cleansed, and it is a more difficult task than the other was, and one to put him on his mettle and win him great renown, because it is held to be impossible. He rose as he spoke and looked at Mr. St. John with concern as the latter struggled with a bad fit of coughing. I am afraid I have talked too much for your strength, he added. Oh no, Mr. St. John answered as soon as he could speak. On the contrary, I assure you, you have taken me out of myself and that is always good. Must you go? I must, thank you. Don't rise. But Mr. St. John had risen and was surprised to find himself towering over the little gentleman as they shook hands, a feeling which recurred to him always afterward when they met, there being about Mr. Price the something that makes the impression of size and strength and courage, which is usually only associated with physical force. End of chapter 3